can really turn, if you will, we resume the text of 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 17. Pray in an emergency. Pray for April 15th. Pray because your mother-in-law's coming. Pray without ceasing. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 18, praying at all times. How would you interpret that? Does that mean sometime or all the time? You're on it. You, you guys are Bible interpreters. You're on it. With all prayer, which means all kinds of praying, uh, thanksgiving, praise, uh, intercession, uh, confession, adoration, uh, thanksgiving, all kinds of conversation going on with God. Is it, sometimes we get in a rut. I think that's why this book, The Hour That Changes the World, it gives you the different kinds of praying that you can do. And uh, it gives you, I, I was never taught how to pray. You just got on your knees and you try to keep up with everybody praying. And I grew up where everybody prayed. You didn't wait your turn. They were Pentecostal prayer. Everybody prayed. We didn't go there to hear you pray. We went there to pray. See? And sometimes, by the time I got in conversational praying, I was half asleep by the time it was my turn. Because sometimes you have to listen to people that don't know how to pray. And that's a little tough. Uh, so learning to pray. One of the best ways to learn to pray is hang out with people who do. And that's where we have public prayer meeting. Uh, one Sunday night a month where we take more time to pray. Uh, we don't know how to pray naturally. But he says, pray without ceasing. Pray with all kinds of prayer. Uh, with supplication, which simply means petition, with a specific need known. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making intercession or supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We uh, started last week, 10 areas of praying that seem to say you would be engaged all the time, that uh, prayer would be a way of life. And let's pick up number three in your outline. It, since we looked at the others last week. And number three would say, 
we desire for needs to be met. And uh, Jesus taught us in praying, and give us this day our daily bread. Now, in light of where he was living, in light of the economics of the day, daily bread was the primary food. Very little meat in Palestine in 30 AD for the Jewish population. Uh, bread was a staple. And so uh, in much of the world, bread and rice, that's, if they didn't have that, they would not be sustained. And so he's really saying, I want your prayer life. Sometimes people say, should I pray for my own needs? Jesus said to do it. And even as basic as bread, as basic as what I'm going to eat today. Now, most of us in America, we don't live with that because you go to Costco. And you got a month's supply. And, and you're loaded. And you can't imagine daily bread. Uh, that's how prosperous God has made us. But it's the idea of daily sustenance. But I just heard uh, of a missionary uh, that went out from John MacArthur's church, and he just had to return a couple because he has diabetes. And in the part of Africa that he was in, there was not easy access to medicine. Uh, there wasn't easy access to proper nourishment. A lot of things we take for granted in the West. And after some time, the diabetes got so bad and the care was so distant, he was forced to bring his family back to the United States. And he's saying, though, here, ask God about your daily, daily needs, whatever they be, whether it's bread protection, uh, clothing, rent, whatever it takes to sustain life, God wants you to bring it to him. He said, no, you're too busy for that. No, I told you to bring it. I want to hear it. So that ought to keep us engaged in a pretty good deal of praying, especially if economics are short, job has uh, been terminated. Oh, the, there's... You'll, you'll experience those times that all the resources look dried up and God's your only resource. Come, come. Fourthly, the desire for wisdom. The desire for wisdom. Turn with me to James uh, chapter 1. And listen to this verse. One of the most, uh, uh, I think, Disturbing. Verse 5 means nothing unless you read the context. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you get a raise. Well, when you get a bonus, when you get a wife. No, no, no. When you meet trials of various kinds, and the idea here in the Greek is when you've been ambushed. When you've been ambushed, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I quite frankly don't care if I'm steadfast. I want to have a carefree life. God said, I know what you need. I want to teach you to persevere under pressure. I want you to keep going. What are you saying? I want you to be steadfast and let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, he tells me the motive of the test. God's maturing me. But what do I need in the middle of it? If any of you lacks wisdom, that is the skill to navigate and to respond to the trial in the right way. If you lack that wisdom, you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to do. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And then he says, but don't ask in doubt. I tell you, you need God's help to respond to trials right. It is not easy to respond to people who are talking about you, running over you. It's not easy uh, to get over medical reports that could be terminal, to hear bad news. How in the world am I to respond? And here's what I think we really forget. The wisdom to respond to a prowling lion that's out to bring me down. Peter said, beware, your adversary Satan is like a roaring lion and he's going about seeking, and you ought to put your name in there, seeking to bring you down, seeking to have you for dinner. Wolves like lamb chops. And he's out to get you, and he says, you need to resist him. You need to hold fast. You need not run. And let me tell you, when negative circumstances come, you want to resign, leave, I'll find another church, another job, another mate, another something. I got to get out of here. I got to do something irrational because I'm being, I'm being battered. I'm being ambushed. I'm being hit. Do you ever ask God for wisdom? That you're being set up for a divorce? You're being set up for a hard heart. You're being lied to by the enemy. And here, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I know Satan has already laid a trap to destroy you. He's already got his hooks out, and he's going to destroy you. And if it wasn't for me interceding for you, he would succeed. I don't know what you're in right now. I don't know what your mental frame is. If you're full of discouragement, doubt, uh, I can't trust God, this situation's over and beyond. Maybe I think God's abandoned me and the devil's there telling me uh, if God loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. If God was for you, you wouldn't be here. And you're thinking, where is God? I think God abandoned me. And when you read Psalms 22 and Jesus is crying, my God, why did you forsake me? Read the whole psalm. Because before he gets through very long, he said, you heard me from the cross. You heard me. You delivered me. You rescued me. 
and you guaranteed me I would come back in my resurrected body and have a fellowship meal with my disciples just like he did. Your trial will not last forever. I was at Aisha's wedding last night, and uh, her husband's pastor did the funeral. And uh, I was talking to him after the service, and we were comparing how long we've both been in ministry. And uh, uh, I said, how's the wife? He said, well, she's been, she's been gone seven years. And he, he gave me this phrase, that she left me for a better man. What do you say? And then I asked him, well, have you remarried? He said, no, but I sure have been pursued. No, instead of grieving or going on with her over 50-some-odd years, said she went to a better man. Christine Rocha is fighting for her life. Has had a gallbladder surgery. The cancer charts are off the chart. This girl has fought for five years to stay alive. Unless God undertakes, she just has days. Just days. What do you think she's been saying with this battle with cancer? Where are you, Lord? Why don't you heal me? Why don't you rescue me? And I can hear the devil telling her, why don't you curse God and die? A God that can't heal you isn't worth serving. A God that doesn't do this, doesn't do that, he's not worth serving. Bail out, honey. Do some drugs. Get high. At least go out high. He said, no, I'm going to trust him. I'm praying for wisdom. I'm praying for God's ability to respond right. When Martin King was being told by everybody, hit him back, fight him back, he kept saying, you can't fight hate with hate. You've got to give a peaceful return. We need wisdom for that. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Have you ever done that? Or did you cuss them out? Did you get even? Pray for wisdom. That keeps us engaged in prayer all the time. Just when you drive home, to have the wisdom how to respond to the guy that cut you off. Moving right along. Some I see conviction. Uh, five. Deliverance from trouble. I, uh, I want you to look at a few verses with me, would you? Turn to Psalms 57, 5015. This was uh, Charles Spurgeon's favorite verse when it came to the matter of prayer. Psalms 50. Verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. 
Spurgeon said, that's the greatest deal in the world. You cry, he delivers. All you do is give God the glory. <laughs> I do the crying. God does the delivering. And all God wants you to do is give him the credit. Is that fair? I'm in trouble. I call. He delivered. And over and over, he says these kinds of things. First uh, John, anything in his will, he will do. Look at Psalms 102. Throughout, it's just over and over this theme. When I was in trouble, when my enemies were surrounding me, it just redounds in the sum. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Over and over, when I'm in trouble, I cry to the Lord. What do you do when you're in trouble? There's a lot of things you can do. You can try to drink it away. You can go to counseling and hope that a counselor can get, God says, call on me. Call on me in the day of your trouble. And you will not get through life without trouble. Job said, as the sparks fly upward, so man is born unto trouble. We just, of all sorts, it doesn't matter, trouble comes into every life. If you haven't buried any loved ones, you haven't lived long. You will. Trouble will come. Death will visit your family like it visits mine. Where do you go in the day of trouble? Well, a lot of folks go to a lot of different things. I think of Paul. Paul, God's servant. Look at just 2 Corinthians. Look at this passage. You know, you hear a verse that I will never put more on you than you can bear. Have you ever heard that verse? Oh, look at this one. Um, if Second Corinthians one eight. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Whatever happened to the promise, I won't put more on you than you can bear. Here's an apostle saying, I was despairing of my life. Have you ever seen that tension? Well, my, my great insight is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, as I understand it, was the seduction to evil. I will never allow you to be tempted, and I think they're seduced to evil beyond what you are able, but I will make a way in the temptation that you may escape so that you may bear it. I take that to be the seduction to evil, but here in ministry, in ministry and in life, he said, I despaired of life. The burden of ministry was so pressing, so hard, I 
we would say you're suicidal. He despaired of life. I don't know if that means I felt martyrdom was imminent or if inside of me subjectively I, I was ready to throw in the towel. I'm despairing. It, it is a strong word, strong emotion for someone like Paul. I was overwhelmed with what I was facing in Asia. In Acts 19, a mob will be formed to kill me in the amphitheater at Ephesus. At Corinth, they will mistreat me. At Derby and Lystriel, they'll stone me. It was not easy being a preacher of the gospel in Asia Minor to a pagan world. Our biggest trial is we get our feelings hurt. He was being stoned. He was being jailed. He was being hunted down. I despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Why did this happen? Are you still there? Look at the verse. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On, we, on him we have cast our hope that we will de deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I'm counting on you praying for me. God, let me go through this to show me I wasn't capable to get through on my own strength. We could not rely on our own. And you know what? That's what's the problem with so many. I've seen men in the church. Uh, I've seen them, even Tim, for years. He worked for PG&E, 35-plus years. And, and he tells me this being alongside of me in the ministry here for six years besides so many years as a layman on one level or the other. He said, I found it harder these last six years being on call and being on duty and facing the challenges of ministry more difficult than anything I faced at PG&E. You got to be kidding. All you're doing ministry is play golf and goof off. You don't have a clue, and that's why many men can't take the heat. They're bailout artists. They run when the heat gets hot, when the church is under siege. I'll bail out. I want to hear a good sermon, a short one, and good music, and I want to go home. Don't put the burden of the church on me. But I want a good church. I want a powerful church. Would you come to the prayer meetings? No, I'm not into praying. You're not into praying. In other words, you're a bystander. We can go into apostasy, and you wouldn't stop it because you don't have any courage, and you don't have a backbone to suffer with the cause of Christ. Paul said, you can't trust your CEO or your MBA degree to do God's work. You'll have to be at the end of yourself so you rely on a power greater than you. That's called Christian ministry. 
Christian ministry. If you don't want it, I don't blame you. Get an easy life. Get an easy life. Let the church go to hell and criticize it all the way. Would it be any better if you were at the helm? You've got to ask yourself that. Will anybody reach kids based on you? Will anything get done around here based on you? How engaged are you? Spectator? Are you a spectator? Are you in the yoke? How do you get off? How do you get off, child of God? How do you get off? Find something to do. Don't worry about if it's your gift. We care less if you've got a gift. Are you available? What will you be doing besides critiquing when Jesus comes? It's easy to critique. Super Bowl's coming up, and we're going to cuss and discuss every past throne. Why, you idiot, you should have caught it. You ought to have a 250-pound dude coming at you and see if you catch it. <laughs> it's easy to critique when you're not playing the game. Can I get a witness? Say it even if you don't mean it. Say it. Well, a sixth thing, we need to pray to get relief from worry and fear. To be human is to have times of fear and anxiety. We all live with it or we're dead or we just don't know what's going on. And listen to what he says. In Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord sometime. You folks keep reading the Bible. Why you agree? I thought you need to read the Bible. Always. Don't these always drive you batty? Just say occasionally. You mean you want me to be happy in you all the time? That's what he said. I can't do that. We know it. It takes the Spirit's filling ministry. Because you're not that happy to look at. And you feel like brother, sister, grim. All of us do. It takes the Spirit to produce this. Uh, and he said, I get, he knows I didn't get it. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's an interesting word. And the word reasonable has the idea, do you not ever know when to yield? Are you a person you can never win with because you win every argument? In other words, you're not reasonable. You're always right. Well, you're unreasonable. Heavenly wisdom, according to James, is reasonable. It's easy to be into. It can be persuaded. Can you? The Lord is at hand. I used to take that to be his second coming, but he didn't say that. He's at hand. He's right here right now. Do not be anxious, worry about anything. I, I, I'm Just be frank with you. A week ago, I prayed this prayer, and then I said, God, you've got to be kidding. You're not informed. Trump's getting ready to go in. A lot of folks are upset. The economy. The people I know that are dying. The situation. I said, surely you're not informed. 
And right in the middle, God says, you don't mean it, do you? You don't mean that. You know, I'm omniscient. I'm omniscient. I know everything. You know, I'm, I'm in charge of everything. I'm, I'll, I've even raised up the wicked to praise me. Then I repented, and I said, I'll read it. Now help me to believe it. Don't worry. It's a sin to worry as a Christian. Don't worry. And what's the big thing today? When I'm worried, I'll take maybe tranquilizing America's hooked on prescribed drugs. We use more drugs than all the rest of the world put together. For anxiety, depression. I mean, we are an addicted culture. And illegally so. Legally. Prescription drugs. I can't sleep without a drug. I can't make it through the day without a drug. Why? Worrying ourselves to death at the most prosperous time of the country. Well, I make a counseling appointment. In other words, a human counselor can do for you what you won't go to God to do for you. God said, here's your cure. Write this prescription down, 911. Don't be anxious about anything. Which doctor said that? Dr. God. This is my prescription. In everything, pray. It's just a general word for prayer. Prosuchamai, just prayer. And supplication, your request, along with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, okay, what can it do for me? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I guarantee you, if you do that, I will tell the peace of God to guard your heart just like a garrison, like a man on the wall. He will guard you like a sentry duty officer. He will guard you. I will give you peace in the midst of not even having an answer yet. I don't want my people to worry. Why have we sinned so much doing it? Has it ever gotten better by worry? <laughs> I'm good at it. I pastor. I'm good at it. I have grandchildren. I, ha I raise a family. Just as soon as I got the daughters raised, 13 grandchildren come along. You start all over. Are they saved? What, what time are they going to get in? One of my granddaughters getting ready to get her driver's license. Oh, no, my lens, I don't want you on these roads. All over again. What if? What if this happened? What if? What if? Many of you are paralyzed by what if. It could happen. It could happen. And yet, have you ever seen a carefree believer that didn't seem to be about worried about anything? And you got to say, sometimes you resent them. No, you can't, you don't, no, you can't be that happy. You're a Christian. 
You don't know what's going on. I do know what's going on. I'm just obeying God's word, casting all your care on him because he can take care of it better than I can. Don't worry. And he, many places in the word, Psalms, over and over, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you and not be afraid. That throws you off, Psalms 55. When I'm afraid, I will trust. Then he says, I will trust and not be afraid. Well, which one are you? No matter what condition I'm in, I'm going to trust him. And the byproduct of trust is peace. Romans 15, 13. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace while you're trusting him so that you may abound with joy and hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're trusting God, joy and peace and a sweet resolve will be in your heart. When you're not, you're going to become a nervous wreck. It's what he says in his word. That's why some nights when I'm worrying the most, i got to read the scriptures before I go to bed, and please don't look at Fox News. And sometimes I tell Carolyn, I said, one of the biggest mistakes we did, made, we put, when I had back surgery, we put a TV in our bedroom. I'm going to tell you, tear it out. Read the Bible. Read a book. But don't go to bed and go, try to go to sleep on a bunch of negative news. A matter of fact, the Bible's better devotions than the news. Desire to offer thanksgiving. I'll just move on seven. Giving thanks to God. I love what he said in Philippians 1.9. Every time I think about you, I get ulcers. No. I get what? I give thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? When I think about you, what God's done for you, uh, are people a source of joy to you? Or, or is it a source of uh, whatever? But he said, I'm constantly giving thanks to God for what he's done for you. Past blessing, present blessing, thanksgiving alone ought to keep us praying all the time. Uh, desire to be free from the guilt of sin. Uh, if you read Psalms 32, it's one of the lament psalms where David is praying over his terrible sin, probably relating it to Uriah that he had killed and Bathsheba that he stole from that man. And he is uh, he's in this search of getting right with God. And he says in uh, Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. He did for a year, but finally guilt ate him up. I confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And before this time, he said, I had psychosomatic disease. My bones dried up. The moisture in my body dried up. My mouth dried out. I could not sleep at night. Tears were my food. What's this? What are you describing? I'm describing a man full of guilt and sin that he never had taken care of. And he finally, in the psalm, says, I finally went to God. I quit hiding. 
I went clean, and of course, God sent Nathan to confront him and make it clear, David, what you're hiding, everybody's going to find out about because God's got your number. And he's going to have the whole nation know they've got a killer and an adulterer for a king. And you've been fool enough to think you can hide it for a year. Well, David, I'm going to see that my people know about it for the next three to 4,000 years. You try to hide sin, and you're going to be miserable. God promises to make you miserable. And when I hear Christmas and I'm miserable because I've been sinning, I said, well, hallelujah, God keeps his word. May it increase till you repent. Is that cruel? No. It's got to get bad enough before it gets better. When you're going to, and David said, I finally cried out to God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And then he said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. But when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy on me. I was depressed. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's describing the misery of being wrongly related to God. Sin, sin, sin. Oh, I am going to tell you, uh, I had to cry to the Lord to get relief from my sin. Where do you go when you sin? The Bible said go to God, confess it, don't stuff it, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, don't let it go down on your sin. Run to God in prayer. Run to God in confession. I did it. I'm wrong. I'm tired of blaming. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's my fault. I want to get clean before you. I want to be forgiven. God cannot forgive unconfessed sin. You have to come and get clean before him and if you're a sinner like I am, I have to show up regular. Just a misspent word, a wrong attitude, a wrong motive. It keeps me showing up pretty regular. Haven't killed anyone lately, but, you know, I, I sin, and so do you. Walking through a dirty world, it's easy to get dirty. That's our challenge. Well, he said... I think 9 and 10 would just close, is Paul said, I pray constantly for the unsaved. And, you know, we started last year, we started the year with our oikos. That is a, oikos is the Greek word for household, family relations. And so we said, why don't you start working on the people close to you to lead, for the, lead to the Lord? Because sometimes you say, was anybody coming to the Lord? Anyone being saved? Well, I ask you, anybody being saved in your circle, are you sharing the gospel? You know, there's some of you, you're nervous if I don't make an invitation. Well, let me tell you, I'm nervous if you're not inviting anybody. You ought to be filling the building. Can you get anybody to even come to church with you? Can you get them here? Or can you get them to your house? Can you... Give them a gift. 
And Paul was this man bleeding all over Asia Minor. Someone said he's like tracking a rabbit, a bleeding rabbit through the snow. He bled all over the book of Acts. What about? I would that I could be a curse if it would save my people Israel. Did you know only God can give you that kind of burden? I don't know of anyone in this church that carries that burden for the lost. Maybe some of you do. Do you care? And Paul was constantly interceding for the lost. Caring, sharing, believing they really were lost and knowing they wouldn't be saved if we said nothing. Finally, I wish we had time to really settle, to pray for the spiritual growth of believers. Paul prays two prayers in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and both are that people who are born again could grow up, that born-again people would start loving like God loves, chapter 3. Chapter 1, that God would give a spirit of revelation or inner illumination so you would know how rich you are in God, what great hope he's given you, and how much power he wants to display through you. And I see beat up Christians, defeated Christians, wiped out Christians, and they feel like they're uh, the illegitimate children of a poor king. They're, they're always whipped. They're down in spirit. Why? They're blind. That they need, we need to be praying. God, illumine them. Show them what they have in Christ. Show them what they are in Christ. So you take all of these things, confession of sin, interceding for the lost, interceding for a brother or sister, crying out in the day of trouble, running to God because you want his presence, and pray without ceasing. I didn't mention 1 Timothy 2, Pray for government and those who have authority. Pray that they'll be righteous and do things that will benefit God's kingdom. We've got something to pray about. What are you doing if you're not praying? You're probably worried, fear, resentment, blame, critical, on and on and on. You'll do worse if you don't pray. But prayer is your privilege. And God said, if an unjust judge could get out of bed because a woman wore him down, and if a reluctant neighbor finally is awakened by a neighbor knocking at the door and won't give up, we just got to show up, ask, seek, and knock, and God will move heaven and earth to hear the cry of his children.